You are listening to National Security Law Today. Just seven short days ago, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, delivered what has come to be known as the Mueller Report to Attorney General William Barr. Immediately, there were calls to release the document, and apparently, polls showed that people on both sides of the aisle, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, all wanted the report made public. But can that happen? Are there legal impediments to making such a report public? Well, there actually are. And today, we're not going to talk about the efficacy of the report, any of its conclusions. What we're going to talk about is the process that has to be gone through when such a report is going to be released to the public. So stand by. My guest today, once again, is Jamil Jaffer. Jamil N. Jaffer is the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute. He's an assistant professor of law at what is now known as the Antonin Scalia School of Law in Northern Virginia. And Jamil's bio is going to be hyperlinked because he has served on Capitol Hill. He served in the White House. I can't think of anybody whose experience would be more perfect to explaining this issue. All right, our guest tonight on National Security Law today is Jamil Jaffer. Jamil is sort of a friend of the cast. He's been here before, um, and I'll connect his bio. But tonight we're going to speak very briefly about what has become known as the Mueller Report. The Mueller Report is the report that was uh, part of a special counsel that was convened for the purpose of determining the extent to which there was interference by the Russians in the 2016 presidential election. Um, The remit did allow for the special counsel to investigate other crimes that it discovered through the course of its investigation, and indeed there have been some referrals. But our talk tonight is not about that. Our talk is about hey, you know, why can't I see this report right now? Jamil, so what's the answer? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. As, as you know, um, and thanks for having me, by the way, um, you know, as you know, um, Attorney General Bill Barr has given Congress and made public a letter which summarizes his view uh, of the key conclusions from the Mueller report. Um, but he's now indicated what he's going to do, which is he's going to go through the documents He's going to identify whether there's information in there that's classified. Uh, there's a variety of reasons why there might be classified information. It might be information um, uh, about from intelligence collection, uh, information that reveals sources and methods of intelligence collection. Uh, it might be information about uh, Russia, the, the country that tried to influence our elections. Uh, there might be information about other foreign governments uh, or from other foreign governments about Russia. Uh, there might be information about uh, an approach we're taking to addressing the Russian threat. Um, and there, uh, there could be a variety of pieces of classified information that might be in the document. So that obviously has to be uh, redacted out for public release. That's number one. Uh, number two, there might be information uh, that's protected by grand jury secrecy rules as a general matter. Um, information that's presented to the grand jury uh, or obtained by the grand jury in the course of an investigation uh, is protected by the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure uh, or Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, Rule 6E, I should say. Um, and uh, now... Mueller uh, or the attorney general could go to a court and get a uh, release of that information. Uh, so that's another way to get that information out there, but that would have to be released by a court. And then third, there might be information that is privileged uh, under executive privilege or some other privilege 
uh, of law, and uh, they want to look at it for that purpose too. So my guess is uh, what the Attorney General is doing right now is with his staff is going through that document, identifying classified information, identifying 6E material, and identifying privilege material or potentially privilege material, and making appropriate redactions, making appropriate assessments, um, and then we'll ultimately release the report. It's very clear uh, from the public debate and from the votes in Congress about the release of the report that on a bipartisan basis, everyone wants to see the report and they want it made public. Um, it's very clear the Attorney General intends to do that. The question is just how much and when. And it looks like it'll be sometime this month, uh, month of April. Um, and then the question is just what specifically will be in there and what will be in there. Yeah, I guess uh, the other issue is there was there was some indication that there might be ongoing investigations, which could be uh, damaged uh, or impaired. Um, I think when people hear that, they wonder how that could be this, the case. But stating the obvious, any target that knows he or she is under investigation can do things like change their conduct, um, try to destroy documents. Um, right. You know, it can it can cause a problem for an investigation. Uh, the other thing is, it is also the case that people can be cleared from investigations, and it's not necessary to put everything out in the public if an individual has not actually committed a crime. No, that's exactly right. I mean, we've seen some evidence of this uh, or a potential issue about this recently. Um, you know, there's this whole debate about Carter Page, uh, who was under uh, FISA surveillance. Uh, you know, you know as well as I do that it's very unusual uh, for uh, information about a FISA surveillance to be made public much less uh, information about somebody who hasn't been indicted. Uh, yet in this case, we've seen the revelation of his, not just his name, but the fact that he was a target, um, and all and a lot of information about the application that was filed um, uh, in order to obtain uh, surveillance against uh, Mr. Page. Now, regardless of what you think about Mr. Page's conduct and whether it justified a FISA or not, I happen to be on the side of uh, there, was an, there was plenty of evidence there to suggest he should have been surveilled. Um, whether anything came of that or not is sort of, by, is sort of you know, beside the point, but... Um, you know, the fact that his name is out there at all when he has not been indicted is, is hugely troubling and has damaged his reputation in a huge way. And the same can be true of other people that might be mentioned in this report. And again, as you point out, you don't want those names coming out if those people haven't been indicted and there might be ongoing investigations. We know at the very least um, that six people have been indicted. Uh, six, uh, sorry, six people associated with the Trump campaign have been indicted. Five have either pled uh, or the like, and one, Roger Stone, remains to be tried. Uh, dozens of other individuals, including uh, some 16 Russian intelligence officers, 13 Russian nationals involved in the Internet Research Agency, have all been indicted by Bob Mueller. So we know, uh, no question, that the Russians tried to affect the election. Um, and, and, and we know, even from the AG's summary uh, of, the, of the report, that uh, they tried mightily to, to convince the campaign to work with them. Um, and, and according to the AG, at least, uh, that did not happen. Uh, there was no collusion, um, according to the AG's summary of the report. But we'll see what the report says when it comes out. There's a lot of people who want to see the report itself, Democrats and Republicans alike, including the White House and the president, by the way. He said he wants it released publicly, too. So uh, we shall see very soon what's actually in that report. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to be an interesting, uh, it's going to be an interesting report. I would emphasize at this point, it's 300 pages. It could be that 150 of those pages are items that cannot be made available to the public. Now, let's let's step back for just a second, though. It's It's always tempting to want a report to be public if you feel that it would sort of vindicate you, your opinions about somebody, and that's tempting. And, I, you know, I think one of the questions becomes, what, is the, what happens when we change policies based on sort of our political feelings or our outrage toward an individual? Um, what could be the long-term, long-term policy implications of 
making those kinds of, you know, broad and important policy changes? Well, obviously, that's a huge issue. Um, it's been an issue on both sides in this uh, in this whole debate um, over the Mueller report and over the investigation. Uh, the president himself has been very aggressive at going after Bob Mueller, going after individuals on his team, going after the FBI, going after the Justice Department, really, in a lot of ways, going after the core rule of law institutions in this country. Um, and that can be hugely damaging to their credibility long term. Uh, at the same time, uh, the FBI has not covered itself in glory here. There have been examples, individual examples of agents who have uh, who have not, or, you know, or lawyers at the FBI who didn't behave appropriately. We've seen some evidence of that. That's concerning too. Um, and so there's been trouble on both sides, and frankly, both sides uh, of the aisle have played politics. And when it came to this investigation and the report, we saw the actions by Republicans under Devin Nunes at the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, we saw responses to that in a very partisan form by the now chairman, Adam Schiff. Um, you know, in a rare in a rare bout of bipartisanship, we saw a great report come out of the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, by Chairman Burr um, and and, and uh, sorry, uh, Vice Chairman Warner. Um, and so there are examples of bipartisanship on the Hill on this issue um, and in politics, but by and large, uh, this debate has been fraught uh, with politics. And uh, and you're right that when policy is shaped because of politics or because somebody's personal dislike for whether it's Hillary Clinton on one side and, you know, you need to investigate the uranium one scandal or whatever else it might be on Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump and you've got to investigate collusion and Russia and whatever else it might be, uh, Trump Tower. Um, you know, it, it, this, this, this whole situation is not shown us uh, to be to be good stewards of our of our republic and worse we have played right into the hands of a foreign nation russia that has been trying to create exactly this kind of dissent in our country we played right in their hands and we have been our own worst enemy and played right in the hands of, of the the fsb of um, the russian intelligence operations well yes i think that would be fair to say we certainly have and um i'd like to take one i'd like to take another attack here because one of the issues, I think, for some Americans is, hey, you know what? Congress has oversight, right? And they have these committees, and there are persons on these committees, or maybe maybe they imagine that all members of Congress have security clearances. Well, they ought to be able to view this, right? Well, sure. Well, certainly every member of Congress, by virtue of their office, gets access to classified material. Now, when we get into a certain level of classified material, that is to say what's called top-secret sensitive compartmented information. That is to say top-secret but with additional information about sources and methods where they might reveal sources and methods. That information is generally by practice and not by law, but by practice restricted to members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. Uh, Now, at times, those committees do make that SCI material available to all members. Um, And it may be very well that in this case – um, that when the report comes up, they'll be able to obtain an unredacted version. They may, may very well make it available to all the members of Congress. Uh, they may also release it publicly themselves, right? Congress has the authority – well, Congress has has asserted for itself the authority uh, to declassify information. There's a debate uh, among academics and among national security professionals about how much authority, in fact, Congress has uh, to declassify information uh, because ultimately that authority derives from the president's commander-in-chief power under Article 2 of the Constitution. But Congress has taken the view that it can and will, uh, at its discretion, declassify information with or without the president's say-so. Um, there are actually procedures in the House rules uh, that allow that to happen. And if you imagine, you know, so the most extreme scenario, a member of Congress could walk down to the House floor or the Senate floor and read classified material into the record. And because of the speech and debate clause, it's hard, it's, it's, it's likely they, could not be pro- they would not be able to be prosecuted for that because they're 
absolutely immune. So um, it's a really interesting scenario that we have going on right now and uh, to be seen uh, what comes on that front also. But there are ways for members of Congress to A, see the information and B, uh, even to make it public if they choose to do so under their own independent authorities under the Constitution. Okay. So uh, I think importantly, too, one thing to uh, emphasize right here is We've got a, a we've got executive branch agencies, but there is something called the intelligence community that was uh, basically a statutory creation. Certain agencies have legal authority to work on intelligence matters, um, and they're listed. Uh, and they were that was amended by the USA Patriot Act. But what's important is they are the classified information is proprietary to them. them. If it was information supplied by the CIA, the CIA makes a decision about whether or not that gets declassified and whether or not its declassification or its availability to the public could damage national security. So uh, I'm imagining a process here where a lot of agencies have to get involved, and it is just not as simple as, I want the report, let me have it now, and someone's holding on to it. It, it, it actually involves a very intricate process. Absolutely. You're absolutely right that each of those agencies uh, sort of has a, what's called original classification authority um, uh, with respect to their agency's materials. Now, that being said, um, all of that uh, classification authority, in some sense, is derivative of the president's core uh, national security powers, his commander-in-chief, his or her commander-in-chief powers, um, and their ability to classify information. So there's generally accepted, I think, within the executive branch, the notion that, A, the president can classify information in the first instance and can declassify information in the first instance if he or she chooses to do so. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's general accept, generally accepted view um, that they could do that and override an agency determination. In fact, there's been a lot of debate in the public press recently uh, about uh, the granting or, or denial of security clearances. We saw the president um, himself talk about re- revoking certain people's security clearances, most famously, I think, uh, potentially General Mike Hayden's the former CIA director, uh, which to me is, is seems crazy, but we, the president said it. Um, you know, Jim Clapper, uh, the former director of national intelligence. Um, and, then, uh, and then on the flip side, we've also seen the granting of security clearances uh, to allegedly, we've heard, in the, in, at least in the press, uh, that people uh, recommended that, for example, the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, not be granted a, a clearance at the level he was granted, or a permanent version of the clearance he was granted. And, uh, if we believe the stories in the newspaper, the president overrode those decisions, uh, and, and that the White House counsel and his chief of staff actually documented uh, his determination. Again, we haven't seen any of this. There's no, there's no proof that it happened, but that's what the story on the street is. And so, you know, there's a question about who has the authority. Is, does the president have the ultimate authority? that's generally accepted to be the view and then the question is if he has that authority let's say the CIA says well, we don't think this part should be declassified the FBI says we do think this part should be declassified could the president override those decisions I think the answer is yes and then what about if the president says no but Congress wants to and then and they go ahead and do it and that that's where it, it starts to get a little murky and a little complicated and there are very strong views on both sides uh, but I think the generally accepted principle is the executive branch holds that authority like you said the agencies hold that authority but ultimately it drives the president well, it would be interesting because I, I, I do, I, I imagine the president has said, let's, let's take him at his word for a minute. He wants this to be public. It is an interesting fact that his intelligence heads, these are the political appointees, people that were selected by him, appointed by him, confirmed by Congress. These folks have on more than one occasion, uh, contradicted the president in particular. So they do not appear to be uh, afraid to push back. Um, which is which is what you want. You want intelligence professionals who can state their case. 
But it could also be the case that this would expose a particularly sensitive source or method that they think just really should not be in the public domain and would really hurt us as a nation, take politics out of it. But we don't know yet. We really don't have a clue until this has been gone through. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, uh, probably the most famous instance in this presidency uh, of the president and his national security officials disagreeing was when he came out saying there was alongside Vladimir Putin and said, you know, I believe, I believe uh, President Putin. The very next day, uh, his entire national security team went to the White House and from the White House podium said, you know, Russia was engaged in these activities uh, against our elections and, and the system is blinking red and, you know, and, 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 uh, and this is a real threat. I mean, so that was probably the most most clear contradiction between uh, the views of the president and his national security team. Uh, but you know, this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, we saw in the in in the Obama administration when the CIA felt very strongly and objected, you know, at the highest levels uh, to the release of the of the uh, so called torture memos, the enhanced interrogation techniques memos. The president overrode them and released them in full. Um, you know, information that when I when I first saw it was compartmented multiple compartments deep, had to be kept in its own safe inside of a skiff in the National Security Division at the Department of Justice, where I had to sign it out each and every time I looked at it. That material, you know, a, a few months later or maybe maybe six months later, I'm walking down the National Mall and holding it in my hand and you know reading it and then throwing it in the trash can on, on the on, on the National Mall. And so, you know, presidents can and do make these determinations, including against the objections of the senior leadership, including the director of the CIA in that case, uh, when they choose to do so. And, and people have generally taken the view that they can do that if they want to. So we shall see what happens. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the president today says, I want it out there. I want to release completely. You know, um, one wonders if it will be the same view, if the AG's view of the report a bit different. Interestingly, the president actually said this before the AG's, uh, AG's summary came out. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, well, right now, as we speak, I know the president is carefully poring over 300 pages of documents. Wait. Well, I, 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 um, I, don't, I don't know if the president's actually looking at it. We don't even know, by the way. I, don't, I haven't seen any reports recently. Maybe you have seen them, and I haven't seen them. But I know the AG was looking at them. I don't know if he sent it to the White House. Um, uh, if he has, you should definitely tell me. Um, but uh, we also know that you know, the president is, uh, is sort of famous for not reading you know, long documents, um, and so I doubt he's read the 300 pages, although if he was going to read something, this might be the thing he reads at 300 pages, uh, so, so who knows? It is always fun to talk to you. Let's do another podcast soon. Jamil Jaffer, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to National Security Law Today. This has been our very quick podcast on the subject of the Mueller report. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.